Ahoy hoy, all you delightful little ragamuffins. I'm John Miller, and this is Everybody Trades. And yes, indeed, we're getting a second podcast recording in in one week, despite the addition of a newborn to my family. Oh man, my wife is going to kill me if she hears this podcast. Please don't tweet her, I promise. I'll do anything. No, I'm just kidding. My wife's awesome. She always supports me. And you know what? Hopefully my daughter will be awesome one day as well. But that's going to be up to us, won't it? Well, one thing I'm going to teach that beautiful young lady is frankly the non-aggression principle. That's right. I don't think people should just go around punching and slapping the crap out of strangers. Well, that's one very obvious part of the non-aggression principle, right? Only aggress when aggressed upon. Play defense, but never play offense. Never assault anybody. Never steal from anybody. Never murder from anybody. Real basic, moral, Ten Commandments type type stuff, right? Well, it's always seemed to me that the state, the government, well, they have a real difficulty with the particular concept of non-aggression. But you know what? You have to give our founding fathers credit for one thing, at the very least. They certainly understood the danger of state aggression. Now, they were obviously not perfect in what they set up and all of their ideas. Well, they're human beings just like any of us. None of us are perfect, right? But one of the things, in my opinion, that they did get right, and I think really a plurality of American society agrees with this, certainly you see it, in pop culture, movies, television, all support this concept. And it's the idea that the burden of proof should always be on the state in criminal trials. That the person, the accused, should not have to prove their innocence. No, it's the state that has to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that they are the ones who are guilty. That that person has committed a crime beyond a reasonable doubt. And it is in that time that we, as a society, seem to accept state aggression when people have been aggressive on other people, right? Basically, when individuals have violated the non-aggression principle. For instance, like just recently at this California, I believe it was called the Garlic Festival, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. But regardless, there was some another mass shooter, unfortunately, that killed three people and wounded another 12 to 15, something like that, another horrible event. Well, this person was killed by a police officer in that event, but if they had survived, obviously they would have gone to trial, right? And clearly, even I, about as libertarian of a person as you're ever going to meet, you're not going to see me feeling sorry for a person who's thrown in jail or even put to death, quite frankly, who has proven beyond a reasonable doubt And yeah, a whole bunch of people saw it. So in this case, we can say it's beyond a reasonable doubt. We got plenty of witnesses. The guy was caught with a gun. We get all that. Again, this is hypothetically. I know he's dead. But the point would be, that's where we've all decided, yes, we're good with aggression there. But again, the burden of proof is on the state, and it must be beyond a reasonable doubt. Now, just what types of state aggression we allow, we permit, we accept as a society, well, that's often been up for debate and often changes from year to year, generation to generation, and certainly from 
culture to culture and region to region. Obviously, the ultimate example is the death penalty, right? Now, we can sit here and have an argument about the death penalty. For instance, the guy from California, the mass shooter. Again, had he lived, there would be people on one side that would say, absolutely, he should be killed, and then others that would say, no, the the death penalty is never okay. So there's that debate. Then you go a step down, a degree lower, if you will, And now you're just in pure imprisonment. Again, still burden of proof on the state, reasonable doubt, in order to aggress upon a person to the point that we take away essentially all your freedom and throw you in a cage, okay? Now we go even a degree of digression further down than that. Basically, you're at fines. Say the FC the FCC, the FAA, the FBI, BBBAQ, FFA, whatever long alphabet soup organization there is, the EPA, the Environmental Protection Agency, let's stick with them. Say you're levied a gigantic fine because of some reason that they've decided. Let's say you've built your property, you've, you've bulldozed something, and under that was a rare grub of some sort that you did not know was on the endangered species list. Well, again, we can have a debate about how much precaution you should have taken in order to avoid bulldozing the endangered wild Alaskan grub. But we can all agree, again, that's an aggressive act. If you're levied a fine, and and we've been levied, we've seen fines levied by the federal government, for instance, that will quite literally put a business out of business. So again, that's another, that's definitely state aggression. That's not just a $5 parking ticket, right? And now we get to the ultimate one. And by ultimate, I mean actually the opposite of ultimate. Ultimate's the death penalty. No, we're going to my last one. So I guess that's ultimate too. Huh. The language is funny, isn't it? But anyway, I digress. My final example, one degree even lower than that, I suppose, is taxation. Now, again, oddly, for the most part, almost everybody, except me, of course, has accepted that taxation is a necessary part of culture, of society, of law, quite frankly. It needs, in order for there to be law and order, there must be taxation, Now, even if I accept at some level that taxation is necessary for society to survive, which I don't, by the way, but just for the sake of discussion, I will. I will accept this idea that it's absolutely necessary for taxation on some level for there to be law and order. But it's obvious that that burden of taxation is not equal among all of us. Not even people who literally have the same income the same $50,000 income, let's say, for instance, depending on what those people do in order to get that income, they can be taxed at a totally different rate. The amount of money that they go home with, the amount of money that the state, more importantly, takes away from them can be completely different depending on the arbitrary, quite honestly, whims of the state at the congressional level, the bureaucratic level, you name it. Now, for instance, getting back to that fifty grand example, let's say that there's a forklift operator 
Actually, let's make it. Let's go back to the bulldozer since I just used the bulldozer of bulldozing grubs. Well, let's say our bulldozer operator. Let's say he was paid a $50,000 salary in that year. Well, he would be taxed at a rate that is commiserate with that. Now, the owner of the business, let's say that for whatever reason, he also made $50,000 just coincidentally. Now, some of you who don't understand biz- how business works are going to say, now, how can that be possible? If his one guy made fifty grand, how could he have only made a $50,000 profit? Well, obviously, simply owning a business, simply operating a business for a year does not guarantee profit. So let's start right there. Now, in theory, these two men will be charged the same income tax rate. However, as the owner of the capital, as the owner of the bulldozer, this man will incur an additional tax simply for owning the capital, the bulldozer. And again, this tax will incur regardless of this person loses or makes any money. Indeed, you can lose a bunch of money, and guess what? Every single year, you still owe the government your property taxes. They never let you off the hook on that stuff. Now, again, my point is, is it not an aggressive act by the government for them to say, just all of a sudden, for a few hundred people in Washington, for instance, or a few dozen people in your city council, your county commission, wherever it might be, Whoever is levying a property tax on you, for instance, is a really great example because until you really own something for a while, it seems really bizarre that you would owe a tax on something every single year. And if you don't pay it, what, the government's just going to take it from you? Again, a lot of you are going to say that, well, yeah, that's good. We, We like the wealth redistribution. We like that. We can get some money out of these people. We like that we can wring that turnip dry a little bit. And frankly, we don't feel sorry for people with large houses and a lot of capital and property and yachts and mansions and businesses and boats and cars and whatever else it might be. Yeah, you get, you're, I'm supposed to feel sorry for these people. Yeah, good luck there, Johnny boy. Good luck. Well, again, the problem with that argument, in my humble opinion, is that's just based purely on envy. But even if it weren't, if you've listened to this show for any stretch of period of time, or frankly, just go to Hans Hermann Hope's, I'm sorry, Hans Hermann Hoppe's Economics in One Lesson, or read anything by Murray Rothbard, or read the classic economic piece, I Pencil, or read a million other things like Bastiat's the seen and the unseen. The point I'm making is, is whether you like these or not, these are, in my opinion at least, brilliant arguments that millions of other people happen to agree with as well. So that sounds to me like there is a reasonable doubt in all of these taxation arguments. In fact, there's such a reasonable doubt that, again, millions and millions and millions and millions of people agree with my side of the argument. And I'm talking worldwide here, not just in America. But believe it or not, yeah, even if you're 1% of the argument, that still equals over 3 million people in this country. I'm sorry, do those people and their property and their opinions, do they not matter? Where is the reasonable doubt argument when it comes to taxation, when it comes to levying fines on people, when it comes to just out of nowhere for the EPA to suddenly say, 
hey, this type of Freon that goes in your air conditioner, yeah, that's illegal now. And the one that we're going to make you buy is way more expensive. Sorry. To me, that's an aggressive act. And the arguments that they make to justify them are totally spurious and are certainly beyond a reasonable doubt. Frankly, we'll have a much better society and culture if we apply the same standards of the burden of proof that we have in criminal trials than we do for all forms of state aggression. And that's the type of principle that I think we can realistically apply that I think most people in America, they can actually wrap their brains around. This isn't some wild idea. And by wild, I mean something that really has never been seen by anybody in generations. Like, for instance, the idea of a private law society that would be completely separate from the state. Now, to most people who hear that, they think that's just a really wild, crazy idea. And I'll be completely honest with you. I am not such a legal expert that I am going to be the one who can convince you that that is the path forward. But there is one very specific argument that I'd like to put to rest against that right now, and that's this. Some people are going to say that the whole thing would be messed up because it's based. it would be then based on profit. You don't want law to be based on profit. Well, here's, here's one first pushback I would say. Do you think that our current system, do you think that being rich and being able to afford the most extravagant lawyers in the country, do you not think that that is currently a benefit? Do you think that O.J. Simpson benefited from that particular arrangement? Okay, that's my first point. My second point is, you know where there is no profit? There is no profit in the warfare state. And how's that going for us so far? How is the warfare state going for America so far? There's no profit in it whatsoever unless you're, sure, if you're Lockheed Martin, if you're Northrop Grumman, if you're Raytheon, and I'm a, and I'm a stockholder of all of those disgusting companies because, frankly, I want to get some of my money back that they and the Defense Department have stolen from me. Yeah, they get rich, but what about the rest of us? We get our money taken from us aggressively based on a bunch of idiotic ideas like, oh, we need to, what, help Saudi Arabia with its war in Yemen? That's going to make America a safer place? I'm sorry, that is complete nonsense. And again, something that we should hold up to a very, very high burden of proof. Because these people are selling us a bill of goods over and over and over again. And frankly, war is the most destructive thing that people do and have ever done and will continue to do as long as we live. There's nothing, nothing that comes even close. That's all it is, is pure destruction. So you tell me, maybe if there was a little bit of more of an actual profit concept there, a respect for property rights, not just a profit in terms of, oh, well, Lockheed makes money because... They're able to sell bombs to the Defense Department who then bombs people overseas and just completely destroys their lives and property and all kinds of stuff. Or they use sanctions and blockades in order to starve people who aren't in the government, who aren't the people that they're really trying, the decision makers that they're really trying to affect. No, let's starve these people out in order to affect regime change. When has that ever worked, by the way? Somebody tell me that. 
All right. Well, that was a long way around there at the end with that whole war thought. But I thought, why not? If we're going to talk about aggression, by golly, we got to end with the ultimate biggest aggression of all, which is even more so than the death penalty. The frickin' warfare state. Am I right? Yeah, that's right. A bunch of kids in Yemen. We need to we need to help out. We need to arm Al-Qaeda, essentially, in Yemen. And uh, just in order to uh, make the Saudis happy, in order to stick it to the Iranian government, right? Well, screw you people. We need a lot higher burden of proof than what we currently have. That's my thought. Hey, remember that was my original thought, the burden of proof? Didn't I bring it home nicely? <laughs> All right. Well... Let's get out of here. Who knows? You might even get two podcasts next week if you're lucky. But until next time, I'm John Miller, and this has been Everybody Trades. Everybody Trades.